This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 198. It is a Thursday night, December 22nd, a few days away from Christmas. Final episode. Here before Christmas, we'll probably get one more in before uh, the new year. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll give you a surprise before the new year. But uh, we are, as always, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you are interested in contacting them, find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue over in Berry Hill or give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Alaco Finewood Floors serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 1995. Will no Trevor today? No, I think we've done four, maybe five with that with uh, with Trevor, but now we got one without Trevor. A little more traditional, but uh, we'll look forward to getting Trevor back uh, in the saddle with us. But Will, this is probably the most free form podcast we've ever done with zero prep. But I don't think we need a ton of prep because a lot of recruiting class we've already learned about. We've already talked a lot about a lot of these guys, so uh, this will be an overview of the signing class. It'll be probably a little bit different tone than last year. I think we were really high in the class last year, deservedly so, having a top 35, top 30 class after a year like that. But now it started. This is where it gets a little bit tougher, Will. You know, you don't have as many spots. So we'll talk about all of that. But, Will, early thoughts on the class would be, okay, this is this is going to get tougher. This is where it you, your vision is is there. It's fully there. You've got a couple wins to to sort of sell to recruits. But that that adds an added element of everybody else is winning too. Yeah, Billy you said free form, free flowing, not a lot of prep. Life has been our prep for this episode because we're you you can't prep for the recruiting class. No, that either you have been following the recruiting, you have been keeping up with it and keeping up with what the the current coaching staff is targeting and the holes on this roster, or you weren't. So I, I didn't feel like we needed a ton of prep going into this. Also, I think we're still a little thrown off from football season where it's very regimented, yeah. uh, very, you know, recap podcast than a preview. We're hitting basketball season. We're hitting baseball season. We're hitting the more creative, the door report episodes, but yeah. it's hard to use any other word than probably disappointed uh, for this recruiting class. And it's not necessarily saying that 
this class isn't going to have guys that turn out to be great players, but going into signing day, this was in an article from Robbie Weinstein, uh, but going into signing day, this class is ranked number 50 in the 24-7 composite ratings, or number 32 going into uh, National Signing Day or early National Signing Day. And uh, after, at the end of the day, number 50. So they dropped 18 spots. I kind of, you know, messed that one up just a little well, bit, I think, Billy. I, but... know, I, I think they were 50 overall uh, and then like 49th in, in composite. I'm, I'm, if I'm after, not after, yeah, after they lost Pimpton and Lanier, I believe. I think, they, I think that there. was like right before. I don't know if you're looking further back, but like right before. I remember checking, I forget, I think it was Monday. They were like 50th overall, and then in the, in the composite, which is the one that matters, they were 49th. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're sitting at number 50 right now, right? In but the your, tw- point, the st- your point holds, like I and, yeah. and I, 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 I totally get where you're going because you dropped four spots in the overall and you dropped one spot in the composite. You know, I think a lot of Vandy fans were expecting to see a, a, a maybe a eight to 10 spot jump, you know, maybe adding a few guys, keeping Pimpton was the hope when, even though deep down, you probably knew he was going to go to LSU or Texas. And then Kendrick Lanier, Will, that was the one that surprised me a little bit more just because, you know, he wasn't as as highly touted or heralded from other schools, but he goes to... It's, a, it's also, man, yeah, you're, you're about to say the name. It's also a lot harder to digest when you lose one of your top recruits to Minnesota. Uh, versus LSU exactly. it, it, yeah. they're not offering anything like this insane stadium or playing mm-hmm. uh, for a top 10 team I know Minnesota's had their moments as a good program uh, but they're they're much more close to a peer of Vanderbilt yeah. Yeah. for somebody that Vanderbilt's kind of working towards taking recruits from Minnesota is not a school that that Vanderbilt should be losing recruits to no and so it, as much as we've been positive about Barton Simmons and Clark Lee the Pimpton thing that's one thing you're dealing with all sorts of under the table. This is the first year with NIL money. We all know what's actually going on. Uh, but Lanier, that's a tough loss. That, and and yeah. that's the one that I think puts even more of a bad taste in my mouth uh, on top of Pimpton, which I said put kind of a damper uh, on the entire class and the entire early signing day. Yeah. And, and you know, coaches will, will say to the public, you know, we're not going to talk about the guys that we didn't get, but in that room, I guarantee you they were really upset about Pimpton and they were probably more upset about losing Lanier uh, because that was a, a receiver that, you know, we had talked about Will as a guy that could really develop uh, like a Will Shepard or, but the thing is when they're in that receiving room, they do have enough depth, at least on the roster right now to where I don't know if they will be, you know, I don't know if they will be heavily affected at least in the, in the near future, but down the road, that was a guy that we were excited about. So we'll get into all those. We'll get into luckily for Vanderbilt. That's where it stopped really. Uh, for the flips, for the decommits. So, uh, but those are two pretty, pretty big guys in the class that did flip. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all that. Before we do, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's recap the 2023 early signing day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well. Let's get into this class. And again, we didn't need really any prep. You know, we, we had talked about a lot of these guys as they committed, and that's what we usually do. You know, if a guy commits, especially if he's a big-time commit that we see potential in, we'll talk about him on the podcast, and that's what we had been doing uh, up to this point. Uh, but, well, before we dive into the class as a whole, right now the guys that did commit, let's talk about the two guys that flipped, that, that decommitted from Vanderbilt and Clark Lee's staff and you got to start with Kamori and Pimpton. Uh, just a, a brutal flip, Will. And, and, you know, in this world of recruiting, this is where I think we need to have a, a long-form conversation and a podcast and, and how Vanderbilt will attack this. And, and, and there's a lot of other schools that have had this issue. I mean, flips were prevalent across the country. They are every year. I mean, you know, you always see big-time flips last minute. But th- this one w- was interesting, Will, because he was committed. He was one of the early commits. You know, Vanderbilt hopped on this guy early. He was a a, a mid-three-star, you know. I mean, Vanderbilt hopped on him. But he grew to one of the best tight end prospects in the country. I mean, Texas came in and offered him. LSU offered him. All of a sudden, down the stretch here, the last month or so, this guy is one of the most highly touted prospects in the country. Uh, and he ends up flipping from Vanderbilt to LSU and Brian Kelly. Again, you can't really blame the guy. You know, you when you get an offer like an LSU or a Texas, you know, y- y- there's not a whole lot of blame to go around. But, Will, for how long he was committed, that word committed, how <laughs> strong was that? You know, I mean, how, you know, if, if when you're committed to a school, that that's what I really want to get into, Will, because you can be committed, but when LSU comes knocking with, most likely some moolah that may change a player's mind. And that's, I mean, Will, let's face it, that's what happened. Brian Kelly yeah. and LSU came in late and gave and offered some money. I mean, that that's anyone with a brain can see that. Now, we don't know how much uh, or what it compares to other flips in the country. Probably, you know, it's probably on the lower end, but still, Will, I mean, th- this is, this is a, uh, I don't, it is a problem. It, it's a problem with a lot of schools, but for Vanderbilt, you, you can't let this snowball. You can't let this happen. Luckily, it didn't happen to too many other guys. You saw Kenrick Lanier flip to Minnesota. But, Will, this is something I'm really intrigued to see how Vanderbilt responds to this because the better Vanderbilt gets on the field, the more things like this will happen and, and the more targets will see Vanderbilt. Oh, they're winning. I want to go to Nashville and play at Vanderbilt. So, Will, I'm interested to see – how they counteract this, you know, because losing Pimpton, man, he, you, you got to imagine he would, he could have started next year, added some, some size, some speed fans were excited, but they were also nervous down the stretch. And well, unfortunately it happened. It, it happened. This is, it was, I mean, Billy, we all saw this. Uh, this is like, I, I brought it up and Trevor always likes the analogy of being the significant other that's been cheated on multiple times in multiple relationships. And, 
as Vanderbilt fans, that's what we are. And that is why we saw this Pimpton decommitment and committing to another school coming from miles and miles away. It's why I didn't get excited when you guys were talking about the Pimpton highlights a couple episodes ago, uh, because I just didn't buy into it. But a point you had made is about he was committed. He was an early commit. And commitments, I mean, in the modern NCAA, mean virtually what does nothing. that mean? Yeah. I mean, a, a verbal commitment has always meant almost nothing. But now once they actually put pen on paper and sign with your school, what does that mean? We went over the numbers with the transfer portal this year, like 25% or 20% of all athletes in NCAA Division I football entered the transfer portal or FBS uh, Division I football entered the transfer portal. And guys are doing that multiple times throughout their career. So you had the number one recruit from, from the recruiting class last year that was number 32. He's gone gone i mean you you can look at all of this but it's really the guys that you can keep and maintain and keep for years and develop and build within the program you are in the modern ncaa landscape which is perpetual free agency perpetual recruiting it's just like the nfl but there are no contracts and no salary caps we are about to hit an insane version of the NCAA and the NCAA recruiting, especially within football over the next two to three years before things inevitably mellow out and settle down. I just think naturally they will. I mean, players are going to realize that the grass is not always greener. There's Mm -hmm. not always a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Just there aren't enough spots, but man, you've lost these guys. It was probably with Pimpton. You know it was money. There was. It, it's yeah. not LSU just directly saying, "Hey, we're going to pay you seventy thousand dollars a year to come here," because that's against NCAA rules. But these guys all know each other. They all talk. They all know somebody on another team or went mm-hmm. to a camp. They know what these collectives are paying every single scholarship player on that athlete on that team, and mm-hmm. especially the superior and best athletes on that team. I mean, they can ask the current players and figure out what's going on. I mean, it, there's so much gray area. It's like when we were talking to the Anchor Collective guys, I used that phrase, and they said something about where the NCAA rules are actually black and white. And I said, they're really, really not. Because it <laughs> says right what now. you are supposed to do and what you are supposed to not do. However, it doesn't define how they're going to enforce it what actually is involved in making inappropriate guarantees of money towards recruits or towards players in the transfer market. So this is just going to continue to get crazier. It's not like I have a problem with it, but Vanderbilt just has to adapt. I don't know if there's really anything that they could have done about the Pimpton situation. I mean, they were offering him everything they could instant playing time. And we talked in the SEC visit at the, exactly. uh, Yeah. So they I with, mean, I, with a quarterback and an offense that could potentially be very built around you as a freshman tight right. end, or especially your sophomore and junior year, I think that this is a very short sighted uh, decision by Pimpton. I don't often, uh, you know, criticize eighteen year olds on their decision where to go to college. It's their decision. I mean, most of the time, it clearly to me is like let them make the decision. Yeah. They've been through the visits. This is one of the times that a school clearly came in late made some very, very, very good offers. And he heard some very, very, very good things through some tertiary boosters and channels and collectives. And it's hard to turn that down at 18 years old with guaranteed money. But I can almost guarantee you with the tape that I watched on Pimpton at six foot six, 
that if he played for three years at Vanderbilt, which he would have probably started or at least seen significant playing time as a freshman, he would have been an NFL draft pick without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to LSU. We'll see if he ever sees the field. He might go to LSU and absolutely tear it up, but they have three or four Camarion Pimptons. That's exactly Vanderbilt what has I was zero. Say. Yep, they so have that's three the difference. That you yeah. write your ticket at Vanderbilt if you can buy into the Clark Lee program. The playing time is there. The catches are there. The yards are there. The touchdowns are there. The opportunity is there. Simply at LSU, the opportunity just might never be there. Yep. And these guys don't think like this. It's why Justin Fields committed to Georgia. Uh, when everyone in the world looked at that roster and said, you're not going to start over Jake Fromm as a freshman. And then he had to transfer to Ohio State because he wasn't going to start. These guys have never actually had semi-similarly talented peers around them. They've never faced playing against a guy that's better or just as good as them. And Pimpton's going to have that at LSU. So I hope to, you know, I don't want to see him succeed against Vanderbilt, but I, you know, I hope all the best for him. But I wouldn't be shocked if that's a name you see in the transfer portal uh, in the next one to two years. Um, I completely agree. I mean, Will, he was going to be a featured guy in Vanderbilt's offense, a guy that would get the ball a lot. Now he's going to LSU with three tight ends committed. He was going to be the tight end. He was going to be the guy, the top recruit. He goes to LSU. Who knows what happens? Of course, good luck to him. But, hey, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Now Vanderbilt has zero tight ends. So. <laughs> exactly. So we'll I you, we'll talk about this down down the down the road of this podcast. I think tight end is a position they do probably need to attack in the portal. I mean, you're looking at Justin Ball, and who else? Will Cole Spence, uh, Cole Spence. a guy that that will also be uh, coming up as a, as a sophomore. So I think there's like a you know, hybrid type guy in this in this class that you know if he put on more yeah, weight, Cam, be a Cam, Cam Johnson. I think he yep. is uh, six. Mm-hmm. He's huge, uh, and I think that is what he can be. Uh, but I do think at the tight end spot, they probably need some immediate help, and, and we'll get into more of that uh, down the road, Will. So Camorian Pimpton has uh, flipped uh, to LSU. Will, the next guy is Kendrick Lanier. And this, you know, we talked about it in the open, a little bit more surprising. I mean, he was a guy, of course, longtime commit of Vanderbilt and, and a guy that was sort of, you know, rising up the charts and, and was one of the highly rated uh, prospects in the class. He goes to Minnesota. And that was interesting because you you, you head up to uh, a school where for more than half the season, it's going to be in the 20s and 30s and probably lower <laughs> at certain points in the Big Ten. So, uh, you know, good luck catching footballs up there. Uh, you know, and me and my brother were talking about it. I, we were talking about how how would you turn down Nashville, the SEC, and, and a, a quarterback like Swan, and, you know, you choose Minnesota in, in the, the ice-cold Big Ten, sort of the frozen tundra of college football. And, and, and you so- know I always like to talk about offer sheets, Billy, as well. Yep. But you're talking about choosing the location, but he didn't have the most impressive offer sheet in Lanier. He had good tape. I you know I watched his his huddle highlights or whatever and and really liked what I saw. He's got okay size. I think he's six one and a half. Mm-hmm. But his offer list outside of Vanderbilt, Minnesota, is in the Power Five is Georgia Tech, and that's it. Yeah, it's, it's so not there yeah. there are no other Power Five offers. So right. it was a little bit different than Pimpton. It was just really disappointing just to see a guy that scratching. There, yeah, it was it was very out of the blue, and then it's just it's Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're going to fucking Minnesota. Right. 
Like and, and, and Vanderbilt, I mean, you could argue that was the best offer he had. I, I do think you could argue that, you know. Georgia oh, I think Tech Vanderbilt's had, a better offer than Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, Georgia right. Tech had a down year. Minnesota w- was down from from where they've been, at least. And yeah, sure, they've had Rashad Bateman, some decent receivers come in. But it's not like this is some sort of SEC monster who has, you know, a tradition of, of producing NFL wide receivers. I mean, this is a, a solid program. But to turn down Vanderbilt it, it late in this process and choose Minnesota, it was just head scratching. I mean, especially was- a Vanderbilt program that can point to things like having the two all time sec receptions leaders and having Will right. Shepard, who has gotten a ton of national attention well, on social me, media. Me, yeah. Let me say this. Will. this might've been a situation where he looks at Vanderbilt's receivers and says, Shepard yeah. McGowan, you know, there's a lot there. Maybe Minnesota came in and said, Quincy Hey, Skinner jr. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that we could point to this, you know, kind of, um, you know, twist this as a positive saying maybe he looked at Vanderbilt's receivers and said, I'll get more playing time at Minnesota. You know, may, you know, maybe that was there. I don't know, but I think there's always positives and negatives here. Of course, you don't want to lose a guy to anybody. You know, you'd like to keep your class intact. Uh, but I do think we'll to, to, to not let this snowball. They, they only signed 20 guys. They have 20 guys signed so far last year. What was it? Almost 30. I mean, it was a huge class. They had to do that, by the way. Yeah, 27. Yeah, so 20, 27 last year as opposed to 20 this year. I think that is a positive in, in a way because you you don't have as many spots. And, you know, you're not having to sign as many guys, but this is where it becomes harder because, you 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 know, you, you are selling to wins, but you're at the point where in the SEC, you're, you're, you're going to you're, – you're last in the SEC – 54th overall, according to 24-7, 50 in the composite. So then again, well, this is a developmental program. You know, that I don't know that rankings are really going to tell the whole story, at least down the road. Uh, but at this point, well, you look at Kenrick Lanier, Camorian Pimpton, you don't want to lose those guys. But at the same time, you still have London Humphreys, a local kid who is a stud, who we'll talk about, and another receiver in junior, Cheryl who is a stud as well. So I don't know that that is as Duran Parrish as well. There's, there's some receivers in this class. There's also receivers on the roster right now that we like. Will Shepard, Gamera and Carter, all those guys. That's a, it's a pretty solid re- receiving core right now. So will you look at that loss? Yeah. You don't want to lose them, but then again, I think they are fine. Like if that was a running back decommit, you need all the running backs you can get right now, you know, but because it was, it was receiver, I think you can sort of take that with a grain of salt and say, okay, you know, we're fine at receiver. Yeah, receiver is one of the few positions, maybe the only position on the roster right now that you kind of have set who is going to play next season. I mean, outside of you're always going to have a few guys rotating in that are younger on occasion, but you basically know that Quincy Skinner Jr. and Will Shepard are going to be your one and two the entire season on almost every single snap, and your slot guy is going to be Jaden McGowan. And then you're going to basically be fighting for a guy in Gamarion Carter who has made plays as that number four receiver just to be the number four receiver. Probably best case as a a true freshman if you don't redshirt, which is more than likely wherever you go. But more than likely, you're looking at two or three years as your best case being the wide receiver number three wherever you are. And and maybe for him, especially with Humphreys and Junior Sherrill in the class, that was just the decision to be made. It's still just weird to choose Minnesota. It is just, I I just keep saying the name Minnesota because I think everybody sees that and hears the program and is thinking like, oh, you know, Minnesota is a pretty good, pretty good program. And I'm not arguing with that, but it's Minnesota. He just chose to live for the next four to five years in Minnesota 
over Nashville, Tennessee. That's what's which confusing. is with the part of one of the the definite party capital of the southeast or the south, but one of the best party cities in the country for your college experience. Well, uh, have fun in Minnesota. Yeah, not to mention the freezing cold. I mean, it's it's in the negatives right now. So that's where he. Well, it's it. about to be in the negatives yes. in Nashville. So I didn't want to say that, but yeah. we're we're having a cold snap here. Well, let's in Nashville. face it. This is as cold as it's going to be since 1996. Yeah. <laughs> so this, you know, this isn't normal. But not a regular occurrence. No, it's not. But well, then again, you lose two guys, uh, but you look at the rest of the class and you really start to say, as we get into this class, developmental measurable pieces and aspects to a lot of these guys. And, you know, this is supposed to be a day of celebration. You know, you've got 20 new guys coming into the program. But then again, if you look at the rate rating, they're, they're, they're 50. They're 50th right now in the country. There's teams that are in front of them that you are quite, quite frankly surprised. Quite frankly surprised that they're in front of Andy. So well, let let's get into the class, and we'll kind of start, you know, from the top, and, and we'll kind of go willy nilly here, but we'll go through uh, the top rated guys all the way, maybe not all the way to the bottom, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll give every try to give everybody some love. Let's do let's it. Talk. Let's let's go top to bottom. I'm in Billy. Top to bottom. Here we go. We'll start with Martell Height. Will the corner 5'11, 161 pounds out of Rome, Georgia, that state, Georgia. I look at that, Will, and, and you start to say to yourself, taking a guy out of Georgia, Rome, Georgia, I mean, the whole state of Georgia is is full of, of, of talent. Uh, but you look at that guy, and I think he can play immediately. I really do. Well, I think for Martell, he's a kid that, that was probably told by Clark and the defensive staff, we need help. You know, we, we, we need you to come in and play immediately. I mean, you can throw on the film and, and look at what every receiver uh, opposite Vanity's corners did. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. So I think for height, Will, 5'11", five, five, 161, obviously not the longest or biggest guy, but he's a guy, if you throw on that tape, he's explosive, he's fast, he's got great cover skills. Uh, you know, you, you saw a lot on tape that you like about him. And for, for, for that secondary will to, to bring in a kid like that and compete immediately, I think is big because, you know, you look at the guys right now, you got Tyson Russell, BJ Anderson, you know, you, you just don't have a, a lot of proven guys with enough SEC experience. Martell Heights coming in young, but you need everybody to help in, in the secondary. So, well, I really like Martell Height and he's a guy that, I'm sure there were some late offers coming in from from hell, maybe a school like Georgia or other SEC schools. He stayed he stayed committed from the beginning, and because of that, well, I think they're going to reward him and play and play him. I mean, they're going to play this kid. He's going to have to because you know what that secondary has looked like. Will uh, they're going to need it? So I I, I do th- I I see Martell Height being a guy that plays early, and I, I think you would agree with that. Yeah, he's the what lone four star on 24/7's composite yeah. ratings in the class. His offer list is pretty impressive. I think 24/7 Sports at least on my computer is having a bit of server issues with uh signing day because it keeps loading everything perfectly. I'm sure they've got a few crashing. people on their site this time of year. <laughs> yeah, just just a couple, but Martel Height is the jewel of this class now that Pimpton is gone. I mean, he's a legit SEC corner. Uh, but he's a guy that probably would be a little bit more highly rated if he didn't commit to Vanderbilt so early. Right. Uh, he was predicted on June 20th uh, as a Vanderbilt commit, June 20th, 2022. 
uh, on June 15th, 2022 was the last day he saw his ratings go up in any significant fashion. Uh, it was going up pretty steadily with what seemed like every single camp that he went to. He was receiving more and more offers. He started out rated as about a 0.864, uh, had worked his way up to a 0.8946 on uh, June 15th. Big jump. And then uh, on, he obviously verbally or he was predicted or crystal balled to commit to Vandy on the 20th of June. He committed on July 7th, I believe. Um, and since then, his current rating is a 0.8943. So he has gone down since he committed to Vanderbilt because, of course, uh, they fluctuated <laughs> it up just slightly by 0.1 just to say that it has gone up after a Vanderbilt commitment. So that if you put that in a database, it wouldn't show that it was an immediate decline. It was just a plateau. But this is why the ratings are dumb. Because you said something about Pimpton being you know, a mid-three-star and then started getting a lot of offers and a lot of attention. A lot of that was what he put on film, but just skyrocket. And I'm sure his rating's going to continue or had continued to climb as there was more buzz around him committing to LSU. Height is legit. So yep. you at least know that you have added a legit SEC cornerback or what seems to be a legit SEC cornerback to your secondary, which is definitely addressing something that was a major need on this roster. No doubt. And will I look at those two SEC wins being big here for him? You know, he beat a couple of SEC schools that were offer him or Vanderbilt beat those schools. Florida offered him and Kentucky offered him and he chose Vanderbilt. And those are two SEC schools. Vandy was able to beat this year on the field. So I think you start looking at some guys and you say, okay, how, how did these wins impact recruiting I think those two wins right there probably did because, you know, say Florida beats Vandy, maybe Bartell sees that and is there and changes his mind. Who knows? Who knows with these kids? So Florida and Kentucky were after him. Will a couple of few ACC schools were in there after him. Originally a Louisville commit. Yep. Yep. That's right. So he decommitted from Louisville to Vanderbilt and Louisville is a, is a program that's trending high right now, getting Jeff Brom, who I'm, I'm sure probably tried to contact Martell, uh, late in the process. So Martel Height, four-star, the lone four-star in this class, Will. Uh, one of the better prospects in the state of Georgia. I think a top 40 player in Georgia. To get him, Will, is huge. So let's move on to London Humphreys from Nashville, Tennessee. Christ Presbyterian Academy wide receiver, 6'2", 195, three-star, Will, 88 rating on 24-7. This is a kid I'm really excited about, and I think Vandy fans, every Vandy fan should be his track measurables will are insane. I, I think he he ran a 10-7, 100-meter, uh, and that is very solid, uh, especially for a football player that uh, I think just just sort of ran track for the for the hell of it. <laughs> like, I'm fast. <laughs> let, me, let me run track and, and dominate, and that's what he did, Will. But on the field, I feel like every Friday night I was seeing a new London Humphreys highlight, a, a new touchdown, a kick return, uh, I mean, his team, he played on a very successful high school team. I think that makes an impact. You've got the the winning tradition there at CPA. But, Will, this is another guy that I think can play early because you look at, you know, who knows if he's in the slot where they put him, but this is just a kid that's that athletic and, and it really is a freakish athlete that he's going to play. He's going to find the field because he is that athletic, whether it's on special teams in the kick return team, in the punt return team, however he can find the field, he's going to find it because he's one of those guys, Will, maybe it's not at the receiver position, but if not, he's going to find some time on special teams because he's that athletic, that fast, and he's got those skills 
But I look at this guy, Trevor, I think, tweeted, Will. He said, book this, uh, bookmark this tweet. London Humphreys is going to be an all-SEC receiver uh, in a few years. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think he's he is he's got that type of potential uh, because you look at him, well, I don't know how much film you've seen of him. The kid's fast. I mean, he's got he's got uh, um, unbelievable speed. So he's another guy. And we'll, we'll throw Junior Sherrill in there now, Will. Both those receivers, local products, who st- decided to stay home. Uh, Trent Dilfer, UAB's head coach right now, wanted uh, Sherrill with him at UAB. He chose Vanderbilt. Uh, so obviously it's it's probably not an easy, um, not a very hard decision choosing Vanderbilt over UAB at this point. But still, I mean, to fend off Dilfer, who, who has been trying to flip guys uh, the past couple weeks, I think that's big. So, Will, Humphreys and Cheryl. Cheryl probably in the slot, yeah, most likely behind McGowan. Both those kids are going to contribute early, and it's pretty easy to see after watching their tape. Yeah, Humphreys is at least listed as 6'2", 195. His verified results from over summer before the season at, at whatever last camp he went to is at 183. But that's 6'2", 195. It's pretty good size Yep. Uh, for a guy coming in coming in at the receiver position. You mentioned speed. I think he does have explosiveness. The t- this team needs playmakers, big plays, explosive plays. They improved this past season, but there still were not enough big explosive plays in SEC play. Both of these guys and Humphreys and Cheryl both have big play potential. Now, I don't know how much you're going to see next year of them. We've mentioned the crowded receiving, receiving yep. room. Uh, but after next season, uh, once Will Shepard is likely gone, I would say after next season, you're going to see that receiving room kind of open up and you're going to figure out who's the dog. Who who are the people that are going to step up after Shepard is gone and you no longer have that wide receiver number one? I think the main difference is Humphreys different than Cheryl just because of size, nothing against Cheryl. He can be a real outside wide receiver threat. Like you said, I think Cheryl's likely going to be a slot guy. I think he's like 5'11", 175. Yak yards. Yep. But Humphreys has that body size that I think Barton and Clark are really looking for. Uh, And that includes that, that carries over, not just at the receiver position, but to a quote I saw from Barton talking about two, 300 plus 300 plus pound offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. in this class as well. So you're kind of seeing a theme. You're seeing NFL body types. That's not going to relate to a better rating for the class, but pretty much every single person that is signed in this class has a clear definitive role or clear definitive really high upside that you can see if they can put weight on him or if he can fix this part of his game or improve this part of his game, this could be a hidden gem. But Humphreys is part of the, part of this class that's very local. I would say the state of Tennessee, uh, Vanderbilt snagged a lot of talent that a lot of times we've talked about wanting Vanderbilt coaches and Vanderbilt programs to pursue and go and get. But Tennessee's not a powerhouse of football. You occasionally have a Joan Williams from Father Ryan or the occasional guy that's going to be a four star, five star like Jalen Hurd from Beach. But most of the time, these these Tennessee guys are are mid three stars or are kind of high three stars. So it's not going to create an amazingly graded class because it's mm-hmm. not one of those pipeline schools. Tennessee never has, probably never will be uh, one of those pipeline schools. But there's another guy in this class, Billy, that's also local from my high school, Ethan but Chris. not just the Nashville area. I'm kind of expanding it out. They've got an offensive lineman from Clinton. Yep. Uh, their kicker in this class is the number two kicker in the country. He's from Knoxville. Uh, so you've done a good job of kind of around the state of Tennessee getting these local guys and you know what happens when a school has a local guy go to Vanderbilt 
boy, do a lot of those students and a lot of those teachers start mm-hmm. to have a little bit of an affinity towards Vanderbilt and towards that program. And it kind of creates a culture in the state that Vanderbilt's in Tennessee, Vanderbilt's in Nashville. And I think that's something that's been lacking is Derek Mason was recruiting the West Coast, the Polynesian pipeline from Hawaii produced some great players. But I, I'll admit, I got pretty tired of the Polynesian pipeline. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is, but that doesn't bring in the local community and the local area. And that's been part of the problem is, is James outside of James Franklin and a little bit of Bobby Johnson, you haven't had had a program or a Vanderbilt coach do a good job of recruiting local yep. in-state talent and finding those diamonds in the rough. And a lot of times that can be the difference for a program like Vanderbilt that let's just face it in the next five years is not going to have a class with more than five, four stars in it. They are just not going to. So you have to build success in a different way and finding guys that will commit and stay committed, even if it means a red shirt year and another year sitting behind a guy and will actually develop with your program. I think that's a path to success even more so than it was 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, that was just normal. Now that is going to be a unique situation where you have a guy like Ken Seals uh, this last season that was willing to be a part of that culture and a part of that program and not just immediately transfer out because he wasn't seeing the field. Yep. So that's something with this class that a lot of these guys look like they committed and they just stopped fielding calls. You see some guys, you know, receive offers, but a lot of times on that 24 seven timeline, it's just commits to Vanderbilt and then radio silence Recruiting just the rest of that time. Yeah. Yeah. There's no official, there's no unofficial visits on they that timeline. There's the no other calls. offers. Exactly. Yeah. So that's something Pimpton's timeline did not look like Heights timeline or Humphrey's timeline. So that's something to keep an eye on. It's like the Ray Davis. How committed were you really uh, to going to this? How committed were you really? And the Ray Davis thing, I know we had this argument, but uh, that was definitely dirty, really. No, yeah. The more I think about it, Will, I do think there's truth on both sides. Like, yeah, maybe he did want to get into grad school, but deep down, he wants to go to the NFL, you know, and Kentucky, a school like that, they produce some NFL running backs. And, and I, you know, I do point to more, I've leaned in your direction after, after that. But then again, I mean, who really knows what happened? I mean, we don't know exactly what happened, but I do think Kentucky was probably tampering probably immediately after his performance in Lexington. I mean, they see him. He well, see, Billy, the tampering him. word sounds so bad. But like, like I said, these guys know each other. Like Ray Davis definitely knows or is buddies with at least one guy on the Kentucky roster. He's been going to going doing workouts and training. Went to camps in high school. He's in his twelfth year uh, playing NCAA football. So like this all when we talk about it, it sounds like this big grand conspiracy and like I'm furious about it. But it's just a natural thing that's going to happen, which is what makes the NCAA so silly. Uh, that they're trying to enforce all of these guidelines and rules when it's just like a text message between players can basically assure a guy at this point that you're going to make 50k stopping there's no stopping the tampering i mean everybody's like we we need to stop this tampering it's like well good luck with that i mean i don't remember who said it from the anchor collective guys but it's putting the toothpaste back in the tube it's too late like it's it's out it's gone you can't squeeze it back in jason hit it spot on will he said we'll admit it we don't have the resources of other collectives. 
we don't. We're we're a Vanderbilt collective, you know. But their vision is there, and the, uh, at least a collective is there, uh, so that you know that's there. But well, I do back to the mid state thing. I liked what you said about that because yes, they they took a couple guys from the mid state, but to go over to East Tennessee and take a, the number two kicker in the country away from them and take a, a kid from Clinton, Tennessee, Barrett Maddox, and O'Lyman. That's saying something, I think, you know, that they want to try to take kids from East Tennessee in that area. So I think that's something to, to, to be impressed with. Uh, but, well, a couple other receivers in this class, uh, Duran Parrish, a kid from Biloxi, Mississippi, and then uh, Cam Johnson, uh, Cameron Johnson. He's listed as a tight yeah, end. There we go. I think he's that tweener, <laughs> uh, kind of that tweener receiver, tight end type hybrid player. Uh, I know we mentioned him at the top, but 6'5", 215. Uh, but, Will, on Duran Parrish, he's a four-sport athlete. And, you know, Barton said great competitor, confidence in the game to back it up. Only his second year playing high school football. So, you know, he's a kid that they like the the, the multi-sport athletes. Talk about a four-sport athlete. That's an athlete. So, Will, the, the receiving uh, core was, was bolstered, I would say, uh, with this class. Now, we don't know how many of these guys are going to play early, but I, I can tell you this. You're going to see Humphreys and Cheryl on the field. Uh, at times next season, you know, whether it's special teams or not. I mean, say McGowan goes down with an injury, Will, for a couple weeks. You got to believe Cheryl's the guy there at that spot. I mean, he, you know, I, I can't imagine. The only thing that would hold me back on Cheryl is he's he's smaller. So I, I think that they might avoid playing him too much or him seeing the field maybe just because of pure size. Because yeah. even McGowan was small, but McGowan was built like Tyree Kill. I mean, he's right. he's small and he has a small weight, but he's dense. I mean, he just looks like a a rubber band that wants to snap. He's yeah. but I don't see that out of Cheryl. I w- I would think maybe Cheryl's a red shirt kind of guy, but I I could be very very wrong, especially with the depth at the receiver position. Yeah, who knows? Last year I might not have said that, but you've had a few guys step up uh, in some kind of tertiary receiver roles, and and I keep mentioning the name, but Gamarion Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he kind of puts uh, or slams the door on some of these guys seeing the field just because when he had his opportunities, he stepped up last season. Yeah, And it's and- hard to say or bring in a freshman to beat out a guy that has experience in the system that made plays on an actual field last year. Yeah, I look at yards after catch for Cheryl, and and that's exciting. That, that mm-hmm. That's really exciting down the road to see a guy that is that explosive uh, after the catch. Well, let's go to running backs. This was a great class. Uh, for running backs, just in terms of the amount of running backs that you signed. And they got a couple of late commitments uh, from A.J. Newberry, a guy that we talked about, as well as Diego Benson, a guy that I think Vandy fans should be excited about as well. All three of those running backs, Will, from the state of Texas. So I, I think I think that's pretty impressive. Diego Benson, a, a guy, they're all pretty similar in size. He's six foot, uh, 200 pounds. Same for A.J. Newberry, six foot, 200 and then Cedric Alexander, a little bit smaller, 5'8", 190. Uh, so, you know, you're getting some different styles there with the running backs. But let's talk about this, Will. H- how does this recruiting uh, pickup of running backs impact the depth at running back? Because before these commits, take these three commits out, you've got Chase Gillespie and Patrick Smith. And that's really it. I mean, you know, you could say Dylan betts Polly is also in there. But realistically, you've got those two guys at the top, Gillespie and Smith, who are going to get carries next year. But now you throw in some talented freshmen, Cedric Alexander. You've got A.J. Newberry, a guy that I think fans should be excited about, and Diego Benson. Clark said in the press conference, well, one or two of these guys are going to play early. 
you know, we're, we're going to have that. I mean, he, he that's what he told them. And he told the media that he said, you know, we're going to find out that one or two of these guys are going to have to play early for us. Now, does that mean they don't go after a running back in the portal? Maybe, maybe not. I do still think they should be very active in the portal at running back after Ray Davis uh, heads to Kentucky. By the way, that week, uh, that week five game, Will, in Nashville, that's going to be, that could get spicy. Do you see CJ Taylor's tweet yeah, CJ, about CJ that Taylor, one? He said, he quote tweeted, I forget what he exactly said, but he basically said, I'm going to knock you out. Like <laughs> He said something like, good luck, dog, except uh, September 23rd or whenever yeah. that date of that game is. I saw some comments from fans. Uh, they got me fired up. They were like, stick them. And, and so, well, that, that's going to be fun. And, then you st- and Elijah McAllister is at Auburn. That That is going to be a gr- that the Kentucky game. Going back to that. Yeah, Elijah Ooh. McAllister to Auburn. But, man, you add on the Ray Davis thing to Walt walking into Kentucky last season and beating them. I mean, you just tack on to an all a game that already probably would have been pretty chippy because, because whenever Vanderbilt beats a team the next season, the game is always chippy yeah. uh, because they've been thinking about but it. We and can't about it. But now, yeah. Now add in Ray Davis and that whole situation to a mm. Kentucky roster. That's probably going to be pretty shitty outside of Ray Davis. I mean, they've lost pretty, they lost their two best offensive players from yeah, this I roster. Know they got that's the why they signed C state, but, you know, I don't. Know. I haven't seen a ton of. I, there have been individual situations where the transfer portal has yielded great teams that are built through the transfer. But portal. it's rare. It's yeah, very rare, and I don't see it happening when both your quarterback and Especially running back are with just one year rentals. Kentucky's trajectory is going downhill right now. I mean, we've seen it. Will Mark Stoops had it pretty high after this year. What are they? Would they six and six finish seven and five? And so, and you lose to Vanderbilt. And now you're bringing in some rentals. You're basically telling them, "Hey, we need you guys to perform it and and you know, go out there." Mark Stoops not, is feeling it. He's feeling it because he's you, feeling had the a, pressure. you had a yeah. t- what the a top three quarterback prospect that basically you just pissed away a whole season with yeah, him as the starting quarterback, awful. and you and you were bad. Like that's just that is a target on coaching, and I think this is pretty desperate. Is what they're doing with the Ray yeah. Davis with the Ray Davis thing and. Billy, I, I mean, it just has Speaking, a bad taste in my mouth. I know it does for all the players with, oh yeah. with how that I went mean, down. They're going to be ready to play uh, come uh, September 21st. I think that's uh, that's the date there, Will. So that's going to be fun. And Vanderbilt could be, what is it, 4-0 before that game or 3-0? I forget Very what much. It is, I mean, if they beat Wake, I think they'll be 3-0 heading into that Kentucky game. All of a sudden, there's a lot of hype around that game, Will. So, but but you said Elijah McAllister. Yeah, I didn't want to because I wanted to go into that. The reaction and attention and how it has been perceived—that's a guy doing it the right way. That's the guy doing it without necessarily tampering or at least aggressive public tampering. The right way is not tweeting. I'm putting my name in the transfer portal, and 30 minutes later, tweeting you have an offer from Kentucky, and then your dad basically putting out that you're going to Kentucky. That's that is one of the most if the NCAA doesn't investigate and look at that and do something with tampering, it is a true free for all. It was in our faces like you can't be more publicly tampering with an opponent's player than what happened with that Ray Davis situation. Yeah. But Elijah McAllister did it the right way. And yeah. so the, I think that there's been a lot less of a hostile, and I don't even think it was that hostile. Vandy's fans are pretty reasonable. Yeah. I would say for the most part, we're a pretty docile fan base compared to other SEC schools. Uh, but the Elijah McAllister news is the perfect example of it's about how you do it, not necessarily just 
your and, end action. Yeah, the thing so about- Ray, I just want to keep pointing to that when he puts out the things like, I got snubbed for a team award or whatever it was that he put what, out. What like, was that? What was dude? What if was I quit my job at That's a company ridiculous. as a salesman, I don't get an award. Why in Why would February. he care? What? Why would he care about any award at Vandy? You just left the program. I, I didn't. If understand. I have my job and quit, I don't get an award for the previous year that I worked at the annual awards banquet in January or February. I don't receive an award Sorry, for what I've done at my job if anymore. I quit and leave for another job. That, I, I didn't understand. Okay, that's that. it. I'm not going to mention any of that again. Obviously, you can see that this is a uh, soapbox for me. Yeah, but Will, I, I want to get back to Elijah because it's interesting how Auburn fans have perceived him. He's a guy that he probably wasn't going to play a whole lot next year with all the depth around him on the D line. I mean, I'm not, this is nothing against Elijah, but it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting how, how, you know, Auburn, they're in such need of players right now. They, they need anybody. They look, Oh, Elijah McAllister, six, six, you know, 270, 280 pounds. Hell yeah. Let's take him. You know, they, they, I mean, they're, they're excited and, and good for Elijah. Honestly. I mean, he, you know, he's a guy that, that, that deserves it. And, but it's just I was about to say, I think you're also getting more than just what he does in the field with Elijah McAllister. I, I think you get a real presence in locker room presence. He's a really good him. dude. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say every single one of those charity videos or Turner's heroes, he it. yeah. uh, it's always Elijah McAllister doing whatever, or you see him in the background doing whatever charitable yeah. work. So Shout out to Elijah McAllister. Hell of a time at Vandy. Uh, he did it the right way. Looking for, yeah, looking forward to seeing you succeed at Auburn. Uh, yeah. Which is, it's, I it's hate another... saying that interconference. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. like any interconference teams, but I want to see these individual guys do well. That's another uh, team, Vandy. They... Yeah, that's another team they play uh, later in the season. Will so that that uh, you know there's going to be a lot of familiar faces on a couple SEC teams. Uh, so that should be fun. But will. Let's get back to the running backs. I, I wanted to ask this question about what do they do at running back? I don't know that. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't say okay. Yes, they're hurting at running back, but you do have Patrick Smith. I mean, is this his opportunity? Do they go to the portal? You know, these freshmen. Clark said it. They're going to play. So I'm sort of leaning to Vanny just saying, "Hey, we've got guys we trust here. You know, no matter what anybody else says, we're gonna we're gonna play the guys that we have." So, but will I? I it it feels to me that there's still a need there. Maybe you end up getting another transfer like Ray Davis. You know, maybe you get another sort of unproven guy from a program that wants to play in the SEC. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But what do they do at running back? Well, I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a big one of the bigger questions to ask on next year's roster. Not that it's so pressing and and they're really struggling at running back, but I think it's a question that 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 needs to be asked right now. Yeah, running back's kind of weird. Because you wouldn't think of it this way, and it obviously depends on the guy and body type. But a true freshman, you see a lot of true freshmen succeed that play at, early, at running yeah. back, or, or young guys succeed playing running back. Because if you are fast and you are strong, you don't necessarily have to run guys over. I mean, if you are good at seeing lanes and getting away from guys, that transfers over. I mean, I think Fournette had his best year at LSU as a freshman yep. or a sophomore. I could be wrong. You have Lattimore. Quentin Judkins uh, from- this year at Ole Miss. Yeah, I was going way further back than yeah. you, but yeah, Lattimore at South Carolina. I mean, running back to me is one of the few positions outside of kicker, maybe uh, punter and maybe even quarterback that you can point to and say you see consistent contribution from freshmen. So you have Patrick Smith. Uh, I think he is going to be the bell cow next year. We'll see if he can hold up. 
I, I expect big things from Patrick Smith. I think he is and was, even with Ray Davis on the roster, the by far the most explosive big yes. play potential running back. Because you go back and watch Ray Davis's film, and I'm not trying to hate it. He does not have that next year and explosive turn yeah, the corner yeah. speed. There are a lot of times in that Kentucky game when you watch, and I know Kentucky has a good defense. He's a Zach Stacy type back. Zach Stacy had home run speed, man. He's slower than Zach Stacy. But uh, he, there were multiple times that all he had to do was get the corner on a safety. And every single time the safety ran him out of bounds, the backer was able to get an angle. Patrick Smith with some of the same holes, give him as many carries as Ray Davis. I think next year, knowing he's going to be the guy without the stupid three or four game suspension to start out the season. I think Patrick Smith is going to have a hell of a year next year. And I think we're a little caught up in the modern NFL and seeing the constant rotation of backs in the backfield. But you saw Ray Davis this last season. I mean, he took 80, 90% of the carries. I think Patrick Smith can take 70 or 80% Gillespie and the three freshman running backs all competing for those remaining carries. And I think some of these freshmen are going to be involved and we'll see which one of these guys emerges as the pass catching back out of the backfield. Because that is a unique skill to be able to come out of that backfield and catch those quick swing passes uh, from Swan and catch those screen passes and turn them upfield. So we'll see. But I think Patrick Smith is probably the guy. And I don't know. Do you think they're going to go in the transfer portal? Well, because for I, me, I don't expect them to. But at this I could point, be I'm horrifically wrong. At this point, I'm leaning no. Well, I, I would say. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know that I would count it out. But I, I'm leaning towards. Let Patrick Smith be the guy. Give him the opportunity, and you've got those freshmen. You know, you've got uh, Chase Gillespie. Also, Will, let me say this. You mentioned Swan. I, I, I couldn't wait to get to this because I think this plays a role in Ray Davis leaving. Last year, the quarterback for, let's face it, most of the year was Mike Wright. And you've got Mike Wright at quarterback. Okay, if you've got Mike Wright at quarterback, a guy that, let's face it, can't throw, You've got to have a running back that's a bell cow that can get yards, that is just a punisher. That was Ray Davis. Ray Davis leaves. Now, Will, who's the quarterback? It's A.J. Swan. This offense is going to change. This is a this next this offense is going to look totally different. You've got A.J. Swan. So, Will, I think Vanderbilt is is moving towards a totally different style of offense. Hence, you've got different running back styles that come in, and you've got AJ. They're going to want to throw the football, Will. So they, well, they have to, because I mean, last year, Billy, remember, think about it's, we think about the pass catching, but you're losing Schoenwald and Bresnahan who were incredibly good blockers, especially Schoenwald. So you can't line up in two tight end sets and just power run the football out of the eye or out of these read option sets, because a, you don't have right, but B you're losing basically two more experienced, big offensive linemen uh, that you can stack on either side of the line or split off. And so you don't have that anymore. So you have to redesign your offense. You're not just going to be able to run and overpower pretty much anyone next year. I think the O-line can do a lot. And I think they will be very successful, especially against non-SEC opponents. But I think that's something at the tight end position that's being lost is I think even with Pimpton, that you are going to lose a lot of the reason why the offensive line was able to have the success it had last year. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Grease Gang, they were they were solid last year, especially for a Vanderbilt O line. But Schoenwald was a machine. He was basically another O lineman. I mean, he made dudes look silly. That was a grown man blocking college kids. And Bresnahan was a grown man blocking college kids. You don't have that anymore. 
So it's a lot more on the O-line, but that's kind of the whole more than anything that's going to shape how they can run offense and how they can design this offense with Joey Lynch on top of not having an experienced quarterback sitting behind Swan. So you really don't want to get him hurt. But Billy, I do have a question. Have oh, you here seen we go. anything about Seals? I didn't see his name enter the transfer I, portal. I Everybody's not. assuming he is gone. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that would change what I just said from saying you don't have any experience behind Swan and you don't want to get him hit to you have a very experienced backup quarterback in his, what, fourth, fifth season or yeah. third, fourth what season. What I have heard, and, and of course these may be rumors, but what I have heard through the grapevine is that he is intending to graduate. So, I mean, but maybe he says, hey, I'm graduated. Let me stay for another year of my eligibility at Vanderbilt and and and, and sit behind Swan. I mean, I don't know, honestly. It, it's crazy to look at Seals in his career because, you know, <laughs> right now, I mean, I, I, I love the guy, man. I mean, he did a lot. He joined our spaces after they beat Kentucky, <laughs> which is incredible. It, it was awesome. That was, that was iconic. But, you know, you, you look at it, Will, and, and don't you want to play, Ken? I mean, I, I hate saying it, but it's like, Man, but then again, if Swan gets hurt, he's in. <laughs> but you know, as Seals, you know, he's he's had the realization. It seems like his dad is very involved and and can kind of, that always seems to help a lot when you have parents that can kind of see the bigger picture. But I mean, you're one tweaked ankle. You're a guy in Swan that has had a concussion this most recent year from being on the field at an SEC program. Seals knows that he's not an NFL quarterback at this point. So he's probably going to have to transfer down to best case playing at a mid-major and competing for the starting job in a mid-major, probably winning it because he has a four-star arm. I mean, he has a cannon of an arm. The decision-making uh, definitely yeah. needs, yeah, questionable, I guess, especially against complex defenses. But with Swan, I mean, maybe he sits there and I know he's probably going to enter the transfer portal after he graduates. But Ken, if you're listening, I mean, you're sitting there with a guy that's probably not going to make it through 100% of a season. We, we could use And it. I know you want to play. I, I understand that part of it. But one tweaked ankle, Ken. Yep. And you're playing SEC football. And there's just no other stage that you will ever have the opportunity to play on that will be bigger than that. So. Yeah. I think that could go from being your backup quarterback as a weakness and a freshman or tossing in a guy with no active snaps to saying you can basically just hand the keys to Ken Seals at this point. And I feel pretty comfortable yeah. with having him as the backup quarterback. And That's that opens up a lot for the offense to be able to do without the constant fear of saying, oh, shit, we don't have anybody behind our starting quarterback right. with any type of experience. I like that's a nice added element, Will. I like that. Does does Ken? I mean, I think that's a big question we still need to ask and, and see if that gets answered. But back to Joey Lynch, Will. I think he should be excited about what this offense could could eventually turn into. You've got AJ Swan there. You've got your foundation piece. You've got enough depth at receiver. This is going to be a a, a pass heavy offense. I mean, yeah, they're still going to want to run the football, establish the run, but it's going. You know, you're going to. Vanderbilt, they're not going to beat many teams will just lining it up and run the football next year. You know, that's what they were able to do this year. I think some fans may miss that aspect, but it, it you add in the element of this is the age of college football. I mean, it, it, everybody throws the football. That's how they most teams want to win. That's how Vanderbilt can win now. I think that you got to look at that and you look that you, you turn that into what you have at running back right now. You have different styles than Ray Davis. You have faster, more explosive guys where you saw what Tennessee did, Will. They were in for almost 400 yards on Vandy because Vandy's sitting back. They're saying, okay, you're not going to beat us with the pass. Then we're running up tempo. We're handing the ball off. I think that's what Vandy could potentially do 
next year will and sort of get to that. It's the opposite of traditional football. It's you set up the run with the pass. And so that that 80% yes. of teams in the country and every single NFL team outside of maybe the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills, maybe LA Chargers, they set up the pass with the run. The Titans yeah. with a healthy Ryan Tannehill are the perfect example of that. Everything is run, run, run until the defense finally is inching up and creeping up and then boom, hit them with a play action pass or just a normal pass out of the eye or even out of shotgun. But Vanderbilt next year, you're going to see quick pass, quick pass, quick yep. pass. Yards after catch. the run to not allow the defense to just sit back in pass coverage. So it's a completely different perspective to take. And I think it's going to take some adjustment from the fans, from the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's all on AJ Swan. I mean, it, it's real. He is going to take a big step up in expectations from what we had of him last year, even when he was named the starter. I'm not saying that I'm going to be sitting here expecting him to go out there and be flawless. He's going to be what a sophomore. Yeah. His second season has like six games under his belt or five games under his belt. So there's going to be growing pains, but this next season should be a lot more exciting because you're not hampered by a lack of playmakers on the outside. Every single year, it feels like Vanderbilt outside of some Franklin years is saying you have one guy at the receiving position, maybe one tight end. A solid and if he's running out, back. You're, you're screwed. But you can just focus on one guy. You clearly have your number one in Will Shepard, who I think is the best NFL prospect at the receiver position Vanderbilt has ever had. But I think you actually have depth of speed. Speed. We've always talked about Vanderbilt being slow. I think this is one of the first times that Vanderbilt's going to look fast when you see them uh, play non-SEC opponents. I always like to throw that in. But normally Vanderbilt just looks evenly matched against non-SEC opponents with speed. I think you saw a glimpse of it this past season, and I think you're really going to see the true speed that Barton and Clark are trying to recruit in and Joey Lynch and the rest of the staff. But that's something that Derek Mason was horrific at recruiting. The entire team was so damn slow. And so Clark was working from like a 68 speed on Madden is the average speed. Uh, and right now I would put them at like a 79. There's still a lot of yeah. room to grow. Uh, but I, I think that this offense is going to give us even more of those flashes into the future and into the younger talent and what's trying to be built than we saw last year. So I think the schedule plays out well for Swan to get into rhythm in this new offense, but man, I just want to keep looking back at that running back position. There's a lot on some individual guys to step up and yeah. Swan and then also Patrick Smith. And Will, you talk about the speed. That's going to be so refreshing to to see that on a Vanderbilt team where you're playing Hawaii and you just outrun them. You know, you're faster. So give, give, your guy, give your speed guys the ball and say outrun that defense. And you saw them do that this year. But against even an Elon at times in the second half, you saw Elon sort of tighten up and Vanderbilt wasn't really beating them off the edge anymore because they weren't, they, you know, Vanderbilt wasn't fast. They're getting faster and that's refreshing to see Will. So let, let's talk about the O-line uh, recruits Vanderbilt picked up. Will Barrett Maddox, offensive tackle out of Knoxville. Uh, you've also got Anthony Miles, an interior O-lineman out of Birmingham. Uh, and you've also got, as I scroll down here, Cooper Starks, uh, offensive tackle out of Illinois as well. And then Misal Sandoval, a guy that we talked about from San Diego. So Sandoval, Starks, uh, you've also got Miles. And then at the top, Barrett Maddox. Grease gang got a little bit better, Will. I, I mean, I, I think you can say that. Uh, obviously these guys, you're not going to see any of them play early. The grease gang is pretty solidified right now, 
uh, and and I think fans should be excited about that. Honestly, I mean, you've got a really good uh, you know core of O line guys that are coming back. Uh, I think you know you saw where Hernandez is coming back. Will I, I think that's big. So you can see, I mean, the size of these guys six foot two, mm-hmm. six foot six, two eighty. Barrett Maddox. You've also got Anthony Miles six five, two eighty five. Um, you've also got Cooper Stark six five, three twenty five. Sandoval's a massive uh, man, 6'6", 325. So, well, he's already NFL tackle size. I'm not saying yeah. it's muscle, but just on on paper, 6'6", 325 is what dudes get drafted. Right. I mean, but you, yeah. What what I'm what I, what what you can see is the difference of style. You know, I mean, you've got a guy in the team now, Grayson Grayson Morgan, who's sort of a Taylor Lewan type of guy, where he's going to be pulling a lot, athletic lineman out there on the edge. Barrett Maddox, I think, can be a guy similar to that, 6'6", 280, a little bit more of the longer uh, prototype of, of O-lineman. But then you've got Sandoval, who's 6'6", you know, 330 pounds, Starks as well. So you've got that different style of a guy that, okay, this guy's probably going to play in the interior, as opposed to Barrett Maddox, a guy that is probably going to be pulling a lot, you know, playing on the outside of that offensive line, Will. So, you know, the Grease gang, I think they're going to get better, and you're going to see a lot of these guys – you know, start to develop quickly. Like, I think you could see Leighton Nelson next year uh, play, you know, fight for playing time. Grayson Morgan, uh, you know, up there in the rotation as well, just because they've developed. You know, Coach Blasek is that good as an O-line coach that he has, I mean, he turned Hernandez into, you know, some, you know, a guy, you, nobody wants to face Hernandez on a running play or, uh, you know, a lot of the guys in the Grease game right now. So, well, you're seeing that with the Grease Gang, and um, you know I think the pickups there uh, were, were were pretty encouraging a, a, as a whole. Yeah, I'm glad you ran through the size of these guys because 24/7 just did the thing where it freaked out again, and I couldn't look at it. But it's the size, and it's the opposite of running back. You said you don't expect to see any of these guys playing uh, this upcoming season. Good. You don't want to yeah. see freshman offensive linemen. That is the opposite of the running back position. There are zero. Pretty much. I mean, there's the occasional absolute freak. Not even at Georgia or Alabama. Pre- yeah. yeah, pretty much. There is zero offensive linemen that are ready to play uh, even mid-major football coming straight out of high school. I mean, it's just pure strength. You have had not had enough years to build grown man strength, which that's what offensive linemen have. They have grown man strength or you're just going to get bullied. Yeah. So none of these guys will probably be contributors next season, uh, but that's why they recruited size. I think actually the dude that's the lightest, six six two eighty from Clinton, yep. is the highest rated of these of these offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can see that he's more of a highly rated guy. I think he's kind of a mid to high three star. And then the rest of these guys are bodies. They're they're projects. They're but you have that luxury with Blazik and kind of the the locker room and and position room you've created with the Grease Gang there and Hernandez coming back where these guys can sit there learn from dudes that know how to do it and build a culture. I mean, we just, I just keep hitting on that because I think I'm not the happy go lucky gold tinted lens, but I mean, recruiting rankings are meaning less and less because, you know, 20% of these guys are going to transfer out regardless. And then also it's just keeping them there for longer, finding guys that are actually committed, that are actually committed to developing in the program. So I think overall the offensive line and the offensive side of the ball outside of tight end uh, was probably a pretty damn good recruiting class overall 
at least filling positions that were needed. And I say that with the big except in the tight end position that definitely has some work to do. Yeah, another position of need will defensive line. And I think they really bolstered that, especially on the interior. And, you know, you saw players like Nate Clifton, Christian James, you know, they made impacts this year because of the coaching and the development, you know, they they got better. I mean, you know, they, they got better. They were able to make an impact, but will Demarion Thomas, I, I like this kid, 6'3", 330 pounds. Uh, he's a beast, you know. I mean, up front, he's a guy that, you know, you look at him, he could be, you know, second teamer. I mean, you know, because they're so thin on the inside there, uh, literally. I mean, you know, that there's just not a lot of beef uh, up front on the inside for Vandy. So you've got Demarion Thomas. Uh, you've also got uh, another guy here, Evan Herman, off the edge, 6'6", 210. Really long edge player, uh, Jalen Ruth is uh, is a linebacker. Will but he you know he's going to be playing on the edge as as well. Uh, but another guy that I'm excited about Ted Ted Gregor, uh, D lineman six six two seventy five out of New Jersey. So, well, you look at the guys that you could tell there was an emphasis on interior defensive linemen, run stoppers, and I think they got that. I think they got that in this class. Vanderbilt's fine on the edge right now. <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked about it. Darren Agu, Miles Capers, you've got guys off the edge there that you're you're pretty excited about and pretty comfortable with. On the interior, not so much so. I, I know nothing against Nate Clifton and Christian James and and uh, Miles Cecil. I know who is leaving. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but well, you know, you look at the guys they picked up: Ted Gregor, Demarion Thomas. Just those two guys off the top of my head. You know, down the road, those guys could end up being pretty damn good run stoppers. I mean, just look, you, you mentioned size, Will, on the O-line. They have size on the D-line. I mean, rarely do do you see a guy like Demarion Thomas. I mean, you just look at his body. We saw we saw him in the on-home visit, Will. He's just as tall as Larry Black, and he's bigger. I mean, you, you see these guys, you say, man, they're going to make an impact on this roster, and Will – When's the last time you saw a guy like Demarion Thomas commit? I mean, most of the time, if you've got a D-line commit at Vandy, you know, he's well, an not, edge guy. I'm not going to say it. I was going to say Marcus Bradley. But I well, yep, out. that's an example, <laughs> you know, but no longer here. And so, that you know, you look at it, Will, and you say, man, th- those guys I think can make an impact uh, on the interior of the D-line. And, I mean, you look at Demarion Thomas, he could play early. You know, I mean, say an injury happens, you know, with one of those guys in the interior, he very well could play early. So, I think that was a big plus of this recruiting class, Will, especially D-line, but on the interior, they got better. 6'3", 330. That's all you need to see. And just look at his picture. If you have not, pull up his 24-7 recruiting profile. Look at Demarion Thomas and tell me that guy is 18 years old. Tell me that guy is in high school right now. Yeah, Yeah. there there are guys that you see that, that Vanderbilt gets, and you can just tell based on their picture, like, this guy's mean. And like this guy's yeah. gonna, not even mean. This guy is just a grown man, and this dude is legit. And that is Demarion Thomas. So I'm very excited about him specifically. Honestly, I haven't had a chance to look in to any other any of the other defensive linemen. So outside of him, I I would just be you know reading their profile right now. Yeah. So I'm, I can't really add anything to the defensive linemen. He's he's a guy. Well, Arkansas came in and offered him. So that you know, there's an SEC offer there. Uh, let's move to sort of the linebackers and, and, and the secondary. I know we've talked about Martel Height uh, already, uh, but some of the linebackers, well, Ethan Crisp, a guy from Mount Juliet, uh, a kid that I, I think left 
the high, the, the, the program a little bit early. I don't know, you know what that was about, but. So um, he, he had a sling on, uh, he had some type of injury on his upper body. And I can yeah. just tell you Mount Juliet is not a prep Academy. Uh, they are, they have some very hard headed old school coaches that when I was there, didn't believe in concussions, but I, I bet that's changed maybe a little bit because uh, <laughs> the, because the son has taken over for the father now. Uh, but I can just tell you that program is not very forgiving when it comes to injuries. Uh, they're very, I would say very unlikely <laughs> uh, when you get, when you get hurt. Uh, I've seen guys that were like starters and they almost act like you're not tough enough playing through it. Uh, but I would imagine he was just rehabbing. There's no reason yeah. to risk doing anything that these high school coaches are are telling you to do, especially when you're not playing at a prep academy. I'm assuming they still have the same trainer from when I was there. Uh, the one that spiral fractured a dude on our basketball teams did what she said was a dislocated thumb, but was actually fractured and ended up spiraling it all the way up his hand. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think that, yeah, he did leave the program early, but I don't think that that's any sort of red flag. No, I, I, grasp, so. yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, a lot of people were talking about it. It was like, listen, I, I don't think this is something to worry about. Yeah. Is my dad man? texted me and said, Hey, I think Ethan Crisp is just walking around at one of the caves. And I was yeah. like, is he not supposed to be on the sidelines? So, yeah. because I went to Mount Juliet. So rarely do, do we produce SEC uh, talent at Mount right. Juliet high school. So uh, it's nice to see one of the guys at least at least make it and uh, be suited up in black and gold again. Yeah, he's because that is Mount Juliet's color. He's staying in the black and gold at uh, at Vandy and Will. He he's he's the biggest recruiter in this class oh, of yeah. other guys. I mean, he is all over Twitter. I mean, I see his uh, his tweets every day. So uh, excited about that guy. You know, he wants to play for his city in 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 Vanderbilt and in the SEC. He wants to develop and play well so i i expect a big future uh, out of that kid will we had an interview with ethan after he committed didn't we did we? yeah we ran through yeah. some quick questions he, he was a pretty fun interview a yeah, lot of those times did. the guys are nervous and you got to remember you're talking to a high schooler so that so they are a little nervous but he he was actually a pretty good interview if you yeah. haven't listened to that one uh, yeah. go back into our archives and give that yeah. a listen we've got a few other i think we interviewed grayson morgan uh as mm -hmm. well so you know you've got those uh somewhere in our youtube uh but yeah crisp sharp I've interviewed a lot of guys that have transferred out as well <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop interviewing recruits um but uh will crisp sharp kid entertaining guy i think he he's going to be fun to watch jalen ruth uh, a kid out of florida late uh one of the later commits will uh six three one ninety five three star he's he's ranked like right in the middle of the class i think he's a kid with with length uh you know you start thinking about guys like zach cunningham who you know you start to sort of compare to i think he's a guy that that uh, could turn into a good player uh, also evan herman we talked about him on the edge uh and uh as well so th those are really the linebackers will and other guys in the secondary dante kelly a kid from mississippi decommitted from mississippi state late and, and flipped to vandy that that's notable barton simmons was all over this guy uh, said he he's a he's going to be really good at, at Vanderbilt. Jalen Gilbert, a, a safety from Texas, Round Rock, Texas, uh, long six one one eighty five, and I think fans should be excited uh, about him as well. Trying to make sure I don't miss anybody here. Will uh, I think we've covered everybody? Uh, got Cam Johnson, Brock Taylor, the kicker, and one transfer. Will Andreas DeCosmo, one of the better names uh, out there, came from Stanford, a linebacker. So. That's something, Will, I do think we can kind of end it here with the portal. How much how, how much more active is Vanderbilt going to be in the portal right right now? Be, because, you know, you've got this guy from Stanford. you got to believe tight end is going to be 
a, a position of need in the portal. They're going to pick up a tight end. I mean, you can almost book that. Running back, maybe, but, you know, like we talked about, Will, probably not. I mean, at this point, you've got enough depth there. Uh, and then other than that, Will, you got to believe in the secondary, you know, uh, um, an immediate impact corner. You know, you got to believe a guy like Lucian type of guy comes in. So other than that, I can't really think of anybody else. Uh, you, you're replacing your kicker. You got to imagine Brock Taylor is going to start right away without Bulbas. Uh Will, Hayball is back. And that's yes. something that uh, is huge. I mean, he's an NFL prospect like right now. And, and he's Hayball, Hayball is the biggest, biggest news returner. returning. Yeah. Because he is a punter. So is Vanderbilt. The, that, that is so. A Vanderbilt. punter is the biggest position that every single fan base outside of kicker. But I think everybody knows it with kicker that they do this. You only appreciate having a good punter when they're once gone. he's gone. Yep. Exactly. And and I think kickers get more appreciation because they actually put points on the board, so yep. you immediately notice it. But well, Hayball hey coming back, <laughs> consistently flipping the field, and yeah. he did put points on the board. Yeah. yeah. You're right, but uh, consistently flipping the field. I mean, 20, 20 yards of field position. He just was huge. every single time. You you you're pretty much guaranteed ninety five percent of the time he's not going to shank the ball, which is <laughs> the biggest thing and the biggest portion of being a good college punter is just punting it down the field and not shanking it eight yards out of bounds and giving the opponent the ball with incredible field position. And I feel thoroughly confident in Hayball not shanking the ball directly out of bounds. So we've seen plenty of that in the past with Vanderbilt. Now a freshman kicker, even though uh, the guy out in Knoxville, what's his name? Brock Taylor. Yep. Even though he is the number two overall kicker on 247sports.com on their composite ranking. What a so get. that's pretty impressive in the whole country. Uh, there's only like 11 ranked, but still number two. <laughs> He's still a freshman. You could immediately tell he was the kicker in this class, uh, looking at it, at his pictures compared to everyone else's. But you really don't know what you have with kicker until you see him on the field. Yeah. It's it's really the most every single kicker can look pretty damn good in warmups and can look pretty good without a without any pressure on him. But even more so than quarterbacks standing out there in seven on seven and all these guys look incredible uh, when they're playing in seven on seven, not in pads. A freshman kicker that is going to be a headache the entire year. But it's not like Bulovis was automatic last year. And that's so you're not say, going from yeah. it. He, he regressed. He was worse last, this past season. He killed than me. he was I'll the year before. It. Yeah. He killed. He, he, yeah. He killed Vandy in a lot of spots. You know, mm-hmm. we love both of us, but uh, I mean, he was better two years ago, you know? I mean, so, well, he you look at that two yeah. years ago and, and Hayball too. Well, I mean, it's weird talking about your punter with this much hype, but that's what we got to do right now. I mean, Hayball coming in. So, uh, well, that's it. For the uh, signing day wrap-up, uh, of course, a smaller class than last year. Uh, but w- what it's going to start turning into right now, Will, is you look at developmental pieces, and this is a developmental program. They're never going to, you know, they're it's they're far off from being having another top 30 class or top 25 class. I mean, you know, maybe they get there sooner rather than later, but I don't even think that really matters. I mean, they, they, they don't they don't care about the numbers. They're, they're I mean, really- also their sexy positions, they weren't giving out scholarships to. So, like, for the right. most part, they weren't aggressively recruiting quarterback, which they hand out four-star quarterbacks like like it's candy. Yeah, uh, Pretty much every quarterback outside of Mike Wright that Vanderbilt's brought in, outside of Mike Wright and Jacob Free, like the last five years has been a four-star quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Alan McCrary Walters, was a four-star. Alan Walters, yeah. remember him, Johnny McCrary. 
Uh, Kyle Shermer was a four-star. He worked out. Yeah. Uh, AJ Swan was a four-star. I mean, that's another thing. If you sign two quarterbacks in a class, your class is going to go up 10 or 15 spots. Also, just one last thing. Don't look too much at the 50th overall ranking. I know I started out by misquoting the rankings just to kind of set the stage for a little <laughs> bit more negative slant, but number 50 is just number 50 in the composite rankings because they've only had 20 commits. If they had 27 right. commits, add on seven more mediocre three stars that probably won't see the field till their senior year, if at all, and this class is ranked in the top 40. So mm-hmm. they haven't given out a lot of scholarships. Remember, this is early signing day. I know it feels yeah. like every single player signs on early signing day now, uh, but they have plenty of time to fill those positions and tight end is an absolute. I mean, yep. they are going to get one, probably two guaranteed tight ends in the transfer portal. Uh, and they're definitely going to target something in the secondary, but yep. don't get too hung up on the number 50 ranking. It's a small class that is calculated that every commit that you get is assigned a certain number of plus or plus points to your overall composite score. It's not just saying your medium or median or average recruit is the 50th in the country. Yeah. It's just based on, it's a lot to do with class size, especially where Vanderbilt sitting. It's why last season that was a pretty big class, 27 guys, and they were number 32 yeah. and everybody was praising it, but they did have some good guys in that class, but it was a big class and yeah. that helps you out. So this year is a smaller class. And so the ranking is a little worse, but I think there are some guys that can develop into very productive pieces for this team. And I think there are some instant impact guys that we've gone over as well. No doubt about it. And will anybody looking at that number 50 ranking and being demoralized, if, if you're a Vanny fan, you need to sort of recheck yourself. <laughs> if you're demoralized at a number 50 recruiting ranking, you probably haven't been a Vanderbilt ah, Vanderbilt fan for long, and you're yeah. probably not going to last long. If, yeah. if this yeah. National Signing Day and early National Signing Day really hurts your heart too much, good luck, man. Yeah, good, good luck being a Vandy fan because that's happened pretty often. So, uh, all right, that'll do it for episode 198. Everybody have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year if we don't have another podcast. For Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick. You've been listening to The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.